0: And welcome to the ALBA Diversity Podcast, an ALBA Network undertaking to profile and highlight diverse and immigrant neuroscientists. The ALBA Network aims to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences. We talk to neuroscientists across positions, career paths and backgrounds to better understand their personal journeys we showcase the grit and determination it takes to overcome hurdles as part of underrepresented or minority groups. We talk about what keeps them going as individuals and as neuroscientists in today's world.
1: My name is André Micaoui. Uh, I work at the Federal University of Sao Paulo at the Sao Paulo State, Brazil. I am a, a vet- Internet doctor. Uh, So I I got that first degree in vet, but I was always going to do some science. So uh, since my undergrad, I look for labs to do uh, scientific initiation. That's a program that we have here in Brazil, and it's really uh, successful. It's based in bringing undergrad students into science along their undergrad course. So I have this amazing experience. Uh, as a vet to work uh, in a neurophysiology lab. After that, uh, I decided that uh, the best way was going to do masters and PhD. So I chose physiology again and neurophysiology, a bit of neuroendocrinology that's uh, integration of these two main regulatory systems that we have. So. I, I was doing Master's and PhD at the University of São Paulo. Uh, after that, I moved to Bristol and spent about six months there doing a postdoc training uh, with Dr. David Murph. Then I came back to Brazil, got my first position in a university in Rio. Uh, worked there for four years and then two years ago, I moved to São Paulo because it's not that hot here, so it's, it's more comfortable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reason. So that's really interesting. So you've grown up in Brazil and then you went to Bristol for a postdoc and then you came back to Brazil.
1: It's a very common way to do science here. So in general, people get good opportunity outside. And as things in Brazil are not so well developed, uh, the life quality as a developing country is not as we wish it it would be. So many people go to do PhD or postdocs outside in other countries and of course they enjoy the life there, so it's not common to uh, have that brains back home. So there was, in the past decades, this movement to bring in and keep the brains, the Brazilian brains inside Brazil, or bring them back home. I was on that wave that the government was stimulating us to go outside, learn some techniques, uh, do some good science, but always come back to your country. My, my PhD supervisor, he used to say that the, the science doesn't have a nation, but the scientist has a nation. So it's somehow the scientist's obligation to help others from this uh, country to also do great science, teach some students, uh, always try to train students better than you get these uh, good opportunities in foreign countries and bring it back home to try to improve our science here.
0: Can you tell us a little about what you do, like what your lab does and what your questions are right now?
1: My laboratory at the Federal University of Sao Paulo uh, is dedicated to study how uh, neurons and hormones interact with each other to control uh, body, water and uh, salt balance. So, evolutionary, we have many selected and conserved neuroendocrine systems. Virtually, all vertebrate species have these conserved behaviors that we call thirsty, that's a specific appetite for water, and sodium appetite, that's the specific appetite for salt. So we are interested in understanding how the central nervous system works with the help of the neuroendocrine interface to protect us from dying out, from drying out, uh, and allow us to live in the uh, dry environment, in the land.
0: It's not something that people usually study, so this is very fascinating.
1: Thanks to a collaboration with Dr. David Murph, we are being able to go deep on the genies and try to understand how genies network works to ensure that we will be hydrated in the dry environment.
0: When was the first time you started thinking about brains and neurons?
1: So when I was in the basic school, let's say about 10, 11 years old, I have this amazing biology teacher and he used to drill uh, cells and neurons in the blackboard in a very fashion way. So he drew neurons, talking to each others and releasing uh, molecules through synapses. At that time, I don't really have a clue uh, about how important it is for the neuroscience, but of course, that colors and that enthusiastic way to teach first brings my attention to the central nervous system. But later, when I was in the vet school, I met my professor, uh, Dr. Luis Carlos Reis. Uh, he's a very passionate neurophysiologist, and he used to teach in a very scientific, accurate and historically uh, contextualized way. So he always tell the history about how things were discovered, uh, that knowledge that are in the book nowadays. They were first in the papers. So he used to tell the histories about how the science was done beside that knowledge, how it brings some Nobel Prize and it actually aroused my interest and attention to, to neuroscience and to research. So after this scientific initiation with Dr. Hayes, I start to become a young scientist, I think.
0: It's always a good teacher who does it. I, I'm always happy when I hear it's a teacher because it tells you the value of like good teachers, right?
1: This is a consensus that uh, having good teachers, teachers will make kids learn more and will make uh, better adults. But unfortunately, as the teaching career uh, for basics or for the high school are not so well recognized, uh, I think it's the same everywhere. The best brains go to other areas like technology or health. And unfortunately, we miss some of great teachers. So we need to step further and and start to recognize more teachers and their holes and encourage young minds to uh, follow science.
0: I 100% agree. I feel like, especially in places like Brazil and India, it needs to be encouraged because there are so many children with so much potential and all the curiosity in the world. Speaking of teachers, do you have a, a mentor in your life that you that you like, uh, that you respect, but it doesn't have to be somebody from science. It can be anybody who sort of, you know, guides you in your life. Um, is there somebody like that?
1: Sure. Uh, as I as I already told you, I, I have my undergrad supervisor, Dr. Hayes, from the Federal Rural University of Rio. Uh, he's a very passionate guy. And the way that he's really in love uh, with his career, with his laboratory, with uh, the science that that he does, uh, with, without much money, it's more behavioral. Uh, but the way that he looked to it and talk about that, it's fascinating. So I always wish to be uh, that, to have that level of patient for science. And secondly, my PhD supervisor. So uh, I'm really lucky to have good examples very close to me. When I met my PhD supervisor, Dr. José Antónico Rodrigues, uh, he was already about his 80s, and he's still very active and very motivating, always working to get his students excited about science, about life, and he's 87 now, and he's still teaching uh, during pandemics on uh, video calls. Wow. So it's it's fascinating how people really take the professional and science and, and teacher uh, really serious yeah. and how they love it. So that's two examples are the ones that I wish to follow.
0: That's really nice. I mean, it's so inspiring to see somebody who, you know, if you're 87, you can just be like, I'm done. I have other things to do. I don't need to do science, but it's so you're right. It's so inspiring, but it's also it's amazing this kind of energy, you know, to have it and then to you know translate it into into good things for your community and for the students. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Do you think you're part of a minority group? And do you think it comes with some sort of discrimination, some sort of segregation? And have you felt something like this professionally and personally, or maybe even as you were growing up?
1: So I was born in Brazil, but I'm actually a mixed race, African-Brazilian, since my father is Egyptian, and he's coming to Brazil uh, in the 60s, where he met my mother, a Brazilian lady. And in that way, uh, I think I am part of a minority group here in Brazil. In Brazil, the things are not so strict about uh, minorities as numbers because uh, we have more than 50% of our population that have uh, somehow African background. And we also have ascendants from uh, many countries and cultures as Portuguese, Spanish, and from many other countries. Mm -hmm. So what's really important here is the history of slavery that we have as a consequence of slavery, uh, a very late slavery abolishment in Brazil. We have segregation of black color and white color. Uh, So I think that I am part of a minority that's actually not uh, the smaller number of people around. Unfortunately, Brazil is still being a a racist country, but I think that's the same everywhere, all around the world. If we uh, look for the academia in general, we don't see many black people holding these high positions like professors or in any other kind of well-recognized position. The same thing happened in Brazil. I believe that it's not particular to our country but Brazil has done a amazing advance in this issue on the past decades. So we have this actual law now that reserves 50% of undergrad position in the public universities to people from African background. So it was working for the past 20 years that law. So now nowadays is the first time in our history that we have the 50% of the population that got African background represented as undergrad students in the public university, especially the Federal University of Sao Paulo. is an excellent example of an environment that encourages diversity. In the recent years, my university has been among the inclusive ones in Latin America. 50%
0: 50% undergrads of African background is mind-blowing for me. That's already amazing. But
1: it's too hard when we look after the undergrads, So when we look for masters, PhD, postdoc, and professors, uh, we still have very few Black people and women on that higher level. Education.
0: But this is not, like you said, a problem that's uh, unique to Brazil. It's, it's a problem every country is facing, right? Because you need, at every level, you need to be more inclusive. We
1: are very proud of that 50% uh, now. You 50% should be. It's be amazing. <laughs> and we are trying to work on that number and try to apply it to other levels. I'm not entirely sure that have codes is the best way to do that, but it is working. So if it's working, maybe we should apply it for other levels.
0: Everybody talks about, I know we just did, everybody speaks about diversity. Uh, But what does it mean to you? And do you think there's been a time in your life where you've, you know, sat and thought and gone, oh, you know what? This would have been solved if we actually had more diverse people or diverse opinions.
1: If we are talking about diversity and including people, for me, diversity means make people feel represented in all kinds of spaces, jobs, and classes. So if you look for the position or places where you want to be in future, you need to look to that and find someone that represents you, so you feel that at some point you can reach that position. If you never saw your color, gender, ethnicity in such position, in a position that you wish to be in the future, that positive feedback loop will never become true. So if you don't see you represented, you will not feel that you can be there at some point. We need to make the first small steps to getting high and high inclusive and promote diversity everywhere, mainly in the academy. Uh, I think we need to do that uh, very urgent.
0: I've always wondered, and I speak to you as somebody who's not from you know the global north, because in US, in Europe, they are the people who now, for better or worse, let's say they dominate science. But do you feel like um, people like you, uh, you know, who work in the global south, you know, in Latin America, or people who are from other developing countries, um, I sometimes feel like like our voices are not very well represented, maybe in neuroscience, but also maybe, you know, in the whole of STEM academia. How do you feel about that?
1: Sure, I fully I fully agree with you. So we now have in the World Health Organization, a president that's from Africa. Uh, But that's not common. I think people are really paying attention to the necessity to represent all classes, uh, gender, ethnicity in all places. And it's really active attitude. So things will not change if the big organizations, like the World Health Organizations and many others, don't play a active role. When we look for any kind of global organization or congress, for example, you sometimes see few Africans, Asians, Latin America attending to conference, for example, but you don't see many of them giving speeches.
0: It's not that people don't exist, it's not that people don't do neuroscience in Latin America, but...
1: Of course, the language is also a very important uh, issue. Mm-hmm. So, as English is the world scientific language, countries that don't have money put in the basic education to teach their kids a second language, like English, will have uh, less opportunities in science so we expect that and that's something that comes back to the teachers again so we need to have good teachers and we need to teach english at least the basic for our students when i first was in bristol i speak virtually no english so i take my luggage and i travel there and i say okay so let's learn it doing and in months I was able to learn, but it's not something that much people have the courage to do and we should not expect someone to travel around the world without talk the main l- language. So we need to really start from the very beginning uh, with our kids. This kind of program that Alba is doing, it's really important because we don't often use take time to think about that questions, about how inclusive we are being. Uh, I actually start to think how inclusive I am being in my own lab. So I look around to my students and I look around uh, all the undergrad students and try to, to see if I'm doing my part, try to discuss that uh, questions that you arise me on my mind. It's really great to have that kind of uh, opportunity. We need to at least talk about, be more inclusive, have more the people represented in academia. So thanks for bringing that to my attention.
0: Thank you for talking with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alba Diversity Podcast. To know more about the ALBA network and its activities to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences, please visit alba.network. You can also register as a member for free and take full advantage of the network's resources. For more details, follow the Twitter handle at network underscore alba or albanetbrain on Facebook.